Welcome back, everybody, to episode two of Is a Debate podcast. I'm your host, Paige. Who do we have on? Hi, guys. It's Alana. Hey, everybody. It's Alex. Hey, Christy here. Lindsay. Tana. Hey, everybody. It's Tiani. So today's topic, we will be talking about should drugs be decriminalized? But first, we're going to have our hot topic. What I want is everyone to unmute their mic, and we're going to do the Maxwell challenge. And then I will vote on who sounds the best. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely. I love it, babe. I love it, babe. And I just want to say that I have hated every bit of this Maxwell challenge. <laughs> And I don't want to hear y'all's interpretation of it. No, I will graciously take last place. (laughs) (laughs) Some people, though, I'm like, why would you post that? Why? Why? That is not the note. That's not the note. Horrific. Okay, this week's hot topic. When should oh, you? I was just playing it to get. And I was working on it. You think <laughs> literally just played it so I could get the melodies right? Oh, well, on the note, y'all. Nope. nope, I was ready to whoop y'all asses, but I guess we just gonna skip to something else. Okay. In a real spicy already. Um. So this week's hot topic is: When is it appropriate to move out of your parents' house? Well, to clarify as an adult well my <laughs> daddy said I can come home anytime so baby as Here's long as they cooking when I was coming out of high school my mother told me and my sister that we either were to get a job or go to college but either way you had six months to figure it out and not be in her household and we always had a running joke that adults didn't need to live with each other um and that was the thing like after a certain age especially after you got out of college and you was like used to doing what you want to do you can't come live in my house because two adults can't be in here and it's my house but it's funny you say that a lot because I could very well go home right now and we would not have any issues (laughs) like I'm 30 we're good so as far as when you should leave I don't know if you have the freedom to not have to leave like I did I'd say until you got on your feet but I don't really know I don't know that at 18, I wanted to stay in my mama's house. I was ready to go. I I think we, we look past the financial benefits of being able to stay home and save up. The people who stay home and save up and actually manage their finances well, they can actually go directly into a house as opposed to going to apartment living. So I do know a few people, you know, of, across different races who stayed with their parents for, I mean, but it was manageable. I know personally, my mama told me I could stay there forever. It was pure sarcasm because she knew I was leaving. So as I got that Howard acceptance letter, baby, I was gone in my spirit. I lived and voted in DC. Okay, I didn't even know them people no more. But, you know, like, like they said, I could go back home, but had I stayed at my mom's house, I would have given them a little bit of rent, saved up a down payment for a house, and then went directly into a house, which a lot of people do, and it saves, you know, it saves money. I'm gonna just piggyback on the financially sound. <clears throat> so once we're financially sound and able to move out, I think personally, I have this like, it could be a hindrance, could be seen as a hindrance of mine, but this 
uh, overwhelming feeling of wanting to be independent. So like, it was never verbally said. Um, maybe just, yeah, it was never verbally said or hinted at. It's just like, it was still go up, go to school, get job or get work after, and then that's it. Like, we didn't really talk about the after. I just had this overwhelming feeling of wanting to, like, once I left that I didn't come back. However, I am back home now in between. So, like, as everybody knows, cost of living is getting way too high. So we did come back to my parents just to um, work on a more permanent and cost affordable situation, uh, situation, living situation. I have moved in and out of my parents' house a couple times. Okay. I obviously moved out for college. After college, I came back home and was working full time, but still living at home. And then I got, I started renting a townhouse, but then I had this bright idea that I wanted to go back to grad school. And in doing so, I got a scholarship. Thank you, God. But part of the scholarship was I had to be a full-time student and full-time researcher. So I had to quit my job. And so I had the flexibility to move back home yet again um, until I finished grad school. And then when I moved out, I was getting married and making babies and shit. So (laughs) not in order and not intentional on all accounts. But (laughs) I will say that I appreciated the fact that my parents had the means to allow me to come back home Mm -hmm. and didn't like charge me rent or make me pay anything because I know there are situations where it's like yeah you can come back home but you pay it xyz as well and so I just always appreciated the fact that they still kept an open door to me even though I may not have necessarily wanted to move home but I don't think there is an age limit on when you just need to get out of the house however that's situational now let me ask a question to the people now, I think as mature 30-year-olds, some of us, we can appreciate the practice, I said some of us, Paige, we can appreciate the practicalities and the responsibility of the choice to live back at home. But in 20s, we might not have had the clarity. So my question to you, as mostly people who lived on their own in their 20s, if you would have met someone who also who like if you were in your own apartment and you met a guy who lived at home would you have had the same mature response would you have been like why is he living at home like like what would you have thought at that time no I would not have had the same mature response I have grown I think I would have wanted to understand like what is the plan are you just at home because it's easier and you don't have to cook and you don't have to clean or are you at home because you're back in grad school or are you saving up to buy your own home? Uh, if it's the first one, bye. And what about now, Paige? What if somebody was um, living at home now? Same question, same, same question. Same question, 
but I think I would be more frustrated. I wouldn't have the patience for you to reach whatever goal that you're getting towards. It would obviously be situational, like at this age, you know, how long have you been at home? You know, what is your plan to get out? Why are you at home? Um, I think it's a level of like, have you gotten, how comfortable have you gotten being there? Like if you're at home and you've been there for six months because, you know, the economy sucks, COVID and all these things, and you're just trying to get your, you know, life back on track, then I can respect that. But if you've been home at home for three years and you just comfortable and you don't see a reason to move out, then we got a problem. Well, what about like other cultures? Like a lot of other cultures, you don't leave home until you get married. So what if he, yeah. what if that person literally was just like, yeah, my finances are fine, but like, I'm not leaving till I get married. Cause why would I live on my own? Just I away. think, I think in that sense, <clears throat> that kind of cultural, um, lifestyle, maybe not the right word, comes with other cultural things that probably are foreign to me as well. So I think as a whole, I have to be able to accept your culture because it's not just that you live at home. I'm sure there are other things that are not the same as my culture that I'm used to. So do I want to deal with that or not? Mm-hmm. I think that's still situational. Like, so I still get, living at home until you get married is still like a plan. So like if we're talking and discussing it, it's like, yeah, I'm staying at home until I get married. But the second part of that is I need to see mannerisms. Like if I come and visit your house with your parents and stuff, like, are you just kind of chilling, not really helping out around the house and stuff like that and letting your parents or mother or whomever kind of do everything for you? Um, Cause that'll give me a sense of how you're gonna be in our, in our home. Like, are you going to expect me to do everything now? Right. So, your mom's like, still washing your clothes. <laughs> like, nah. Do you know how to set up the utility bill when we move in? I mean, can you order some cops? Will we have electricity <laughs> on the first day of movement? That's the fact. You got to do it. Just willing to, yeah, mannerisms. Are you even willing? Are you willing to do stuff for yourself? Is is it literally just the fact that in my culture, I stay home until I get married? Um, or are you, as, as Alex said, getting comfortable? You know what I mean? So then you're saying there is something wrong with comfortability living at home when your parents are like, yeah, sure, like, stay home. For me, it's, it's if you're getting comfortable and it's like, if I like to see a lack of motivation for, you know, because I can carry over into like your work and like your goals, if you're getting comfortable at home with what you're doing, like, are you going to go and pursue other goals that you might have, or are you just going to kind of like sit in it? So that's why I think it's all just situational. Like I, I just have to see like how you tackle, um, how you handle certain situ- uh, situations that come up in a household. Now we did see something uh, very profound in the sense that a lot of cultures, it's very normal to live with your parents until it's time to get married. Um, it almost kind of feels like Black people are the only 
group of people that are pressed to put people out like <laughs> or like at, even move out because my parents didn't necessarily put me out but I was like <laughs> you know so I'm out yeah. I'm out baby so why is it that even when moving to your own space it's like sometimes black people are even reluctant to have roommates because I know a lot of my white coworkers are like if they're not married, they have a roommate. Mm -hmm. And that's very financially smart. But then when I meet Black people of the same age, we're like, oh no, we needed this two bedroom to ourselves, fully furnished. And it's like, why are we like this? I say, I, I have thought so. Um, and this is just like dealing with the children that I deal with. You want things you never had. And one of those things you maybe never had was space, mm -hmm. privacy. If you grew up and you were one of four and it was time for you to leave, you were actually ready to leave nine times out of 10. And your parents were ready to leave because again, no offense to any race, but it was probably a money issue. You were like, a, 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 what they say, a severe independence is a traumatic response. Yes, it's a traumatic response to poverty. You want, you've been in a position where you had to, you, some, you couldn't do for yourself. You had to depend on somebody else and they didn't come through. So now you want to make sure that you take care of you at any and all times and you don't have to depend on anyone for anything. That's why a lot of black women get up and go, thank you. No, thank you. This was great. Let me go to college. Let me make sure I'm okay so that I'm financially okay. So I don't have to call whomever for whatever. Also, because, and this is not even here nor there, but I want to start a program for any kid leaving high school to have dorm life. Because a lot of these kids don't know how to live independently because they never had that situation. So you don't know how to pay bills. You don't know how to make groceries for the week or two weeks and make that actually last. Like, it's a skill that's necessary, but it's a skill that we want because of the upbringing that we had if that makes sense nobody mm -hmm. had a house that they were running from but if you could have a space of your own after living in a house with two siblings three siblings one sibling or even just by yourself with your two parents and the dog like yeah I would pretty I, I would pretty much like my own space so I want to I want to respond to that Tiani with two thoughts which the person that Paige described, she is me, honey. I was in New Jersey and all of my coworkers had like three roommates. It would be like four people in an apartment. And both of the apartments I had in New Jersey were two bedroom apartments by myself. I thought about getting a roommate and this wasn't from coming from a place of lack of. So it's like, I get what you're saying, Tiani, but it's like, I ended up being that person and I didn't come from, I was, I didn't grow, I grew up with what I needed nothing more, nothing less, but I had exactly what I needed, right? But I think that number one, even if you grew up with, you, with what you needed, sometimes that survival and status mentality can be passed down, even if you are not coming from that struggle. So it's like my mom, I feel like broke through the struggle to like give us a sufficient lifestyle and I'm not saying sufficient to knock my mom. What I'm saying is like sufficient is a privilege. So many people live life 
without having their basic needs met. And it's like, I never needed anything. Never thought about like, how are we gonna eat or anything? Like my mom always made that possible, although we didn't live a wealthy lifestyle. So that wasn't my concern, but it was just like, I think like her mentality kind of passed down to me of like having to kind of prove myself. But the second piece I wanna say about that is, I think that a lot of brown cultures and having been exposed to John's family, who's Asian, don't like outsiders in your home. And so it's just like, for me, if you were gonna meet my roommate as an adult, it's like, I wasn't gonna go on Craigslist and find a roommate, which is what a lot of my white counterparts did. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just like, it was more difficult for me to reconcile. So it's like, for me to be in a roommate situation, it would have like had to be someone who I knew through work or, knew personally or knew through someone else and I didn't know anybody in New Jersey so I simply just wasn't gonna have a roommate and that that was it for me like if one of y'all were in New Jersey we could be roommates if you had a friend in New Jersey and you introduced me we could be roommates but like I wasn't gonna go there and be roommates with a stranger and I think part of that's cultural and um hey I'm Lindsay again I haven't talked this whole episode yet but I also (laughs) I think a lot of brown people move out of their house as well because you know once you have kind of got a taste of being independent whether you choose to go to college or you move out once I come back in I have to follow your rules and if I cannot do that without being disrespectful then I know it's time for me to go so I came back home after college I moved out of my parents house at 24 that was once I had a job, I knew I could depend on what benefits a full-time position. And I also felt like, damn, I'm 24. She keeps asking me to wash these damn dishes. Now I can't cuss her out, but I didn't even eat. These ain't even my dishes. I <laughs> so, so that I don't lose my relationship with my parents because I'm an adult as well. And yes, you should be entitled to say what you got to say. But for most black and brown folks, if you under my house, you must follow my rules that's it and they didn't ask me for anything but I knew once I couldn't really voice my, how I feel it was time for me to go that's real. dude I still tell my mom what time I'm gonna walk through the door out of courtesy like you I just doesn't feel right in my soul no matter how old I am if like if I'm staying at your house to just stay out at indefinite indefinite times like mm-hmm. you know you just can't be walking through people's house like that so I do feel you on that with the cultural thing, Lindsay. Yeah. Wow. I definitely got um chewed up for <laughs> I went to <laughs> I went to go visit my parents and we went to Philly to have dinner with Paige and Rose was with us. Paige, I got in trouble that night. So Rose was with <laughs> us and it was late. Rose was like goofy at the table, like not acting up, but he was clearly tired. He fell asleep before we even got him back to the car. And my mom was like, where the hell are you with my child? (laughs) Because we were out so late. So like, yeah, I don't, I'm a grown ass woman married with a child. And she's still like, um, hello, do you see what time it is type of thing? So yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. I get that. Sorry, Mrs. Wallace. (laughs) (laughs) all right so it is time to get into this argument once again the topic is should drugs be decriminalized we will have 
Tina versus Tiani. And of course, I forgot to look up who is who. So we're going to start with, <laughs> we're going to start with, yes, drugs should in fact be decriminalized with Tina. Ladies and gentlemen, I appreciate you coming here today to learn why drugs should be decriminalized. Many of you may know by now that one in five people on this planet are in prison in the United States. Damn. One in five in the planet is in prison in the United States. Google it if you don't believe me. How many are okay? And 65%, and I got this from a government website, 65% of the United States prison population has either been incarcerated for drug-related charges or has a substance abuse disorder, okay? One study found that 15% of all former prisoner deaths were related to opioids, okay? And so it's just like, prison isn't the solution, people. It's the problem, okay? Let's go back to addiction and why people might be in prison, okay? Now, when we say drugs shouldn't be decriminalized, I'm assuming that means the use of drugs shouldn't be criminalized not the drug dealers themselves. So let's just be clear about that. And addiction is a chronic disease of the brain that can affect anyone and it leads to an uncontrollable habit. And when we think about prison and rehabilitation, they are not equipped to rehabilitate those persons with this disorder. Treatment not only has to occur in the prison, People who apply for treatment usually don't get it in the prison. Even if you had a small drug problem going into prison, you're more likely to have a bigger drug problem coming out of prison. And then on top of that, even if you get treatment in prison, you really need a exiting um, program to help you transition into the real world and not still have your addictive behavior. So it's like prison itself is not reforming drug disorders. And in fact, it can be triggered. It can be heightening. So resources would be better spent, you know, taking people out of the prison. Again, 65% of that population is in there for opioid related reasons. That money would be better spent coming up with rehabilitation programs than just throwing them in prison where you can continue to do drugs and come out and still have your disorder. So it's just like when we think about why are we paying for this? Why are we putting people and locking them up in environments where drug behavior is more conducive? It might be even easier to do it um, than it is on the street. It's just like, who is this actually benefiting? And then uh, I can see on the counter side to that, that some people who have drug disorders can have dangerous behaviors that can make us who don't have drug disorders at risk. Some of that criminal behavior could be violent. Some of it you know, is why they need to go to prison. And it's like, okay, but if that person is a violent offender, then they can go to prison for that. But if it's just on the basis of, you know, consuming drugs, then 
prison isn't going to help me and my family be safer because that person's going to come out having done their time and not have been rehabilitated. Therefore, I submit to you, church, let's decriminalize <laughs> these drugs. <laughs> That's it. Thank you, Pastor. Um, so um, moving on to Tiani. Moving on to Tiani with uh, drug, drugs should not be decriminalized. Um, first, Tina, thank you for that amazing opening. Let me go ahead on and state that this isn't about addiction at all. This is actually about drug decriminalization. And drug decriminalization only eliminates the penalty of selling drugs, but like at what risk? So let's say I no longer arrest people who sell drugs. How do you think that affects the demand and supply? I'll answer. So I can't use Oregon because Oregon is too fresh and too new. Oregon um, legalized all drugs, which I mean, the best of luck to them in that, um, <laughs> in 2021. But Portugal actually legalized all drugs in 2001, 2001, sorry, 2001. And so they have a, <laughs> they have a, uh, a, a way more research um, to back up they may have to reverse their thing. So what they found is that more young people are actually using um, drugs, particularly those in or particularly cocaine, ecstasy, and LSD. Not the regular weed. I know what you're thinking. Regular weed. No ma'am, Pam. Cocaine, ecstasy, and LSD. Like, Come on, why would anybody of those ages need those drugs? But that's neither here nor there. You mentioned something about treatment infrastructures. Let's say we decriminalize drugs. Now you just have addicts doing what? Wandering the streets? You have no treatment infrastructures for these people. They, they are just out here. Like decriminalizing drugs is gonna have a negative effect on, um, on the drug supply on the street and that, that just cannot be positive. Like, yes, you do need to now go through different methods to get it. And you have taken a slight burden off of the system because don't get it twisted. If the cops want you in jail, you're going. They'll find a way, all right? It don't have to be drugs. They can literally say you just resisted arrest and congratulations, you won the ticket to three hots in a, in a, in a cot. Like that, it is what it is. But decriminalization only helps criminals. It only helps the penalty of selling drugs. I think we should go about this in a different way where we pick which drugs are necessary. You do not need magic mushrooms. You just don't. And honestly, I don't know what you're gonna do with meth either. Like you're just gonna, you're just gonna lose your teeth. You sell drugs that you just don't need. I'm sorry, I am firmly against the decriminalization of drugs. Yeah, no. mm -hmm. Just May I take it away? Take it away. Okay, so let me address some of the things you said here. You said it would make alleviate a slight burden. I think were your your exact words there. And I'm going to repeat a statistic here that said sixty five percent of the United States prison population is therefore going to feel opioids or a substance abuse disorder. And so the the word slight burden just isn't in alignment for me. And again, that's 65% on top of the one in five. 
Okay, so that's not really giving me slight, but I hear what you're saying about the drug dealers, but this is the thing. In my argument, I also said that those resources simply need to be reallocated. If 65% of the prison population was no longer there, you do not need to spend all that money on prisons. Some of that surely can be reallocated to appropriate treatment systems. If the answer is simply to not have the drugs, you know, because in this argument, we can either have criminalization or not have criminalization. If the answer is to keep criminalization, then we're going to keep perpetuating this mass incarceration that really affects brown people. We haven't even gotten into the racial disparity of these laws, okay? The fact that a lot of these laws are really are written to mass incarcerate black and brown people. You know, we all know the disparities in the, the laws between cocaine and crack, right? And so it's just like these things are systematic, they're in place, they're not helping society, they're not helping the people who are affected. It's not rehabilitative, rehabilitative for anyone. So it's just like the real question is why? What are we gaining? What are we actually as a society gaining from keeping mass incarceration perpetuated via these drug charges? Hmm. Period. End. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need your rebuttal. Your 65% is drug-related cases, and drug-related cases go beyond distribution. That's that so like you do you have a specific number? Yeah, that's addiction. Again, you not penalizing people has no effect on addiction. Addicts will be addicts. You're giving them more um access because you're taking the penalty away from people who are selling it to them. Like you argued against yourself. Also, the, it, the drug trafficking will increase, the number of new users will increase, and my personal favorite, drug tourism. So now you have people who used to come here for regular stuff, or at least used to go to Mexico for cocaine. Now they're coming to the United States for all of these different drugs. Because Oregon saw a uptick in drug, um, drug tourism. I mean, like, which, which led to human trafficking. There has to be a penalty for being a surge on, on the nation. And I get it. Some of these laws are definitely, definitely 100% geared toward black and brown because the slight chemical difference between crack and cocaine is absolutely insane. All right. But like I said, the cops, if they want to get you, they will figure out a way. They're not the brightest apples in the bunch. But if they want you to come with them, you're going. All right. Like, I don't think decriminalization as like a big broad brush is the answer to this problem. Like you said, I think we need to build current treatment facilities and, and infrastructures and 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 honestly, a whole slew of other programs like, yes, maybe we need to go back and figure out a way to put the dare dog back in school because you'd be shocked how many teenagers are on more drugs than people with jobs. All right. Like decriminalization is an idea, but it's 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 too broad of a stroke to just be implemented the way um, that you are suggesting. Uh, Tina, Tina brought out the notebook, so she has something else to say. 
have to address this Oregon issue, okay? Oregon Trail. I bet my bottom dollar that no one flew from Europe to Oregon to do some drugs. And that was probably people in the US of A. And so if it was decriminalized, I get your point, but I don't think that we would become an international destination for drugs because there are other places in the world that have way lax, more lax drug laws than this and who don't criminalize drugs the way we do. And maybe they are destinations, but it's like Amsterdam. Have y'all been to Amsterdam to do some drugs? I mean, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> okay, incriminating question, but you get my point. Like you could, but y'all don't do drugs. So you're not just gonna travel there just to do it. So it's technically like, weed I, is illegal in Amsterdam, just to put that out there and alcohol. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> And alcohol, thank you, Alana. Okay, so this is my other point. There are countries with lower age limits for drinking and their tourism is not boosted. So it's just like this idea that we're gonna become a crack cocaine heaven for the rest of the globe. It's just like, I'm not buying it. So yeah, I think that's my closing argument. My whole point is, I just don't see how it's helping our society to, again, perpetuate mass incarceration via these drug laws. And uh, in rebuttal, I don't know one person who went to Amsterdam for the food, to be quite honest. They didn't go for the architecture, my friend. They went for what you think they went for, all right? It could have been sex, though. It could have been sex. No judges, no judges, no judges, okay? No judges. I don't judge. But taking the penalty away is uh, not what you want to do. Is And that's just, that's the end of it. Like the penalty, I, I get what you're trying to do with alleviate. Like mass incarceration is a whole nother dead horse that should be beat. But taking the penalty away is not going to get to the answers that you're trying to get to. All right, ladies, so we have Tina saying, the money that is used in the prison system to incarcerate these people should be allocated to the right programs to help them out of addiction. We have Tiani saying that, lock everybody up, basically. <laughs> is that what she said? Not really. What a misquote. What really. really. That's not what she said. Not really. You're trying to sway the audience again? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Alex, cut that out. That was so <laughs> bad. That was so bad as a moderator. Let the record stand. As hell. Absolutely not. But on mute, but on mute, if we're cutting, on mute, all I said was lock their ass up. So the fact that you said that. <laughs> The record shall stand. (laughs) Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Okay, so we're going in the order of my screen. Lindsay. Me? Yes. Either way, all I gotta say is, oh wait, what I'm supposed to do is just say one thing. Shit. (laughs) Shit. For entertainment purposes, I'm gonna have to go with Tim. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alex. 
No, I really hate this part of the show. Um, <laughs> Cut her camera. You said Tina? Tina. Tina, Tina. Okay. Christy. I was like, is she frozen? No, I'm here. (laughs) 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 Oh, they should lay there. Oh, I was going for Tina. I'm the only one who's voting for Tiani. Oh, I can't even get up. No, get up. Can I go back? I really need to go back. Because this, I really need to go back because this is not for entertainment purposes. This is not for However, I, I voted. I voted for Tiani's argument. It was Tiani. Not that it matters, clearly, but I voted. Paige announced the winner. Today's winner. Is teens being <laughs> and now it's my time to claim there were two because <laughs> Lindsay clearly laughed at Tina, so that one honestly, clearly I'm right because when Michael Jackson died, who'd they go get? His fucking doctor. When the guy in New York who was Omar when he died, who'd they go get? His drug dealer. Y'all don't give a shit about them people. Y'all just want the drug dealers to lock them all up. Leave it in there, lock them all up. There you go. Wait, wait, why when I just said that you said that? It was a misquote. Because I give up. I, I she didn't say it point. initially. You know what I mean? I, Not at first. Say that initially. But when people <laughs> die, you say, oh my God, who sold even Mac Miller? Who sold him those drugs? Who took them drugs? This is about this is not about addicts. This is about drug dealers. That's a fact. Like, stop it. It's foolishness. All of these people die. You go, oh my God, who who sold them the drugs? Let's go put them in jail. No, I didn't shoot you up. What is Lindsay doing? It was the it was the voice change. It was. I actually was trying not to laugh the voice change too. I do that a lot. Sorry. Uh, okay. Well, since Tiani has given her as always, these arguments are designed to be polarizing and the truth is always somewhere in the middle. And my personal opinion is that drug dealers should continue to be criminalized, but drug takers should not be criminalized because again, it goes back to like, what is the point of making it a crime? If you're a dealer, the point of making it a crime is because you should not be ruining your community and you need to go away for that. If you're consuming drugs, it's like you need a rehabilitation program. That's just my opinion. But, oh. Go ahead, Lindsay. But uh, for me, uh, uh, the addict, because they're addicted, and yes, I love that um, somebody, whoever in the argument said that it is a... uh, a disease, or I forget, I forgot what the terminology was, but you did. It it's was a illness. chronic disease of the brain. Yeah, it's an illness. But at what point, because it doesn't take one time to rehabilitate a, an addict. It doesn't take two times. It could be their whole life you're trying to rehabilitate one person. So at what point do you set money aside or are you really going to be invested in making them better? So it, it's just a lot put into supporting an addict and who is going to 
set aside the time to do that because it and it could be they had a good two three years right and boom something happens again so who how do you help that and it's not one or two people it's just it's so many addicts whether it's alcohol or drugs what i took from tennis argument was the whole allocation of funds like education and rehabilitation prison systems are where it seems like you take money from first when we're talking about reallocating towards i don't know building or something like that but like or better rehabilitation centers just to begin with uh, and that's i mean i i agree with that solution but it's it's an expensive thing to fix right um it's not something that we don't have homeless shelters for the homeless people who are here. So why would they put enough money into rehabilitating drug addicts? Like, I just don't see it because we can't even help the people that are on the street without anything going on. But a lot of the people on the street have substance abuse disorders. That's why they're and on the mental health, but and mental health. health. But, but, but also, I would just say that, that I get what you're saying, which is just setting up rehabilitation centers doesn't necessarily solve the problem. But I would also argue that um, sending people to prison is less, even less helpful. So it's like, so, you, so you can send someone to, to rehabilitation center, it may work, it may not work. But if you send to somebody to prison because they have a drug issue and they don't get any help, it's guaranteed to not work. I am going to tell you the same thing I tell my students, and it is rude and it is raw. Prison was not for prisoners. Prison is for the rest of society. I did not build the prison to mm -hmm. save you. I built the prison to get you mm -hmm. away from everybody else. All right. Like I didn't, I didn't care about you. You that's why you make 10 cents a day a day. Like I don't, that that was never in my heart. It was never on my mind. Also, with addiction and homelessness and, and two play Republican for a second. There's nothing wrong with Republicans, but at what point does personal responsibility come in? Like, like Lindsay said, how many times can I help you? And that's anybody and anything. Like, how many times can I help you defeat a problem that you have created for yourself? You, not very few people are born with drugs in their system. So very few people are dr born drug addicts. So you went out and found this problem. You may have been fine before because a lot of people who have the opioid problems actually were in severe pain before. And so that's how they got into the opioid. So nonetheless, you did not have this problem. You went out and found this problem and now it has become everybody's problem. Now it's the government's problem. Like at what point do we have a, a personal responsibility for you and your life? Like how many chances do I give you? It could but be are we not but are we not but are we not taking inherent personal responsibility for someone when you lock them up like you so like if because think about it this way if i take you for 3 years and i put you in a prison i'm responsible like that person has to be taken care of for 3 years and so it's like regardless of whether where they are it's like the U.S. has already made a decision to act on that person's addiction. And so it's just like, how do you want to act? 
right? Like of what circumstances should that person be held for three years? Because you're like, you need to take personal responsibility okay, and it shouldn't be the government, but it's like, but the government is taking responsibility of that person when they incarcerate them. And the other thing I would say is like, back to this mass incarceration thing, I don't know the statistics on like per capita, how many people in the US have substance abuse issues versus other countries, but it would be interesting to see what that is versus our prison rates. Like, do we, do we have a drug issue right today that's accounting for 40% of our prison issue? Or is this really just a prison issue? Because it's like, let's, let's say that I'm just making shit up. Let's say that the UK has the same population and the same amount of drug addicts. And yet we have 20 and 30 more times the prisoners. Then what do you say then? No, no, no. So prison is good <laughs> money, big money, great money. I, I, I said it season one or two, and y'all told me not to say it, but given some money, I would definitely own a prison. <laughs> it's easy money. Like it's a terrible thing to say, but it's darn profitable. But like, like you said, like once I take you and I take the risk, the, the country has, to answer your question, the country has a prison problem. They have a prison problem and judges have gone to jail for it. Cops have gone to jail for it. They just sent three judges to jail for putting kids in jail, for, I mean, for putting kids in jail for no reason, right? Like it's a prison problem. I do not believe it's a drug issue. Howsoever, just letting these people run free is just not it. I got something. I knew. I remember what I was going to ask. Do these same countries who decriminalize drugs and are able to provide support for their people also have free health care? Also have free different, you know what I'm saying? Different things they have in place to support somebody who is going through addiction. And I feel like a lot of times that's the difference between us and other countries. If other countries, it seems like they provide more support to people, even though I was talk talking to somebody at my job who's about to go on maternity leave. Like, even though most teachers are supposed to get six weeks at least, you still have to do FMLA because the, the district does not, like the state of Georgia, I don't think does not honor um, maternity leave. And so like, even just to hear that, it's like, well, shit, you don't, it's up to my job to give me maternity leave or I got to do all this extra paperwork instead of just everybody who becomes a mother should have this available time to take out for their child. Because like what the hell is it to return back to work after six weeks of giving birth to a child? Yeah, see the, the this is off subject, getting off subject, but the comparison, like it's, if it goes in favor with the state, and if a doctor claims it so, like per whatever, per what the doctor says, after six weeks, given like you had no complications, mm -hmm. the regular birth, you should be back to normal, I guess. So like six weeks is what's stated in law, but um, for most companies, but anyway. But this is providing the question Lindsay Portugal specifically does have universal health care everything is free to children below 18 and people over 65 everything is mostly free for the people in between mm -hmm. and, and, like huh sorry I was just saying I think that plays a major part in what we value 
versus what we know we are so throwing out there. Like even from it just it's just a bigger thing, I think, than just decriminalizing something. Do we have things in place to support if we did something like that? I think that's the bigger question. I think too, we're talking about like once somebody is already an addict, but to those points, like how do people get to that place? Some people it is by choice, um, like Tiani was saying, they may seek it out or may it may seek it out, like the feeling, get addicted to it. But then sometimes just like crime, it's a it's a where you are in your in your life, like what's happening in your life, what's provided to you, like um, are you not able to make it by? Like, are you not able to find work? Like what mm-hmm. what happened to get you to that point of addiction? And then two, like once you are addicted, there aren't many at least from what I hear from people on social work, like it's a pain to get resources to that person and like valuable resources in order to get them to um, make a change. So one example I did, I don't know if y'all saw the Joker movie, but that's kind of what I think of when it comes to this type of like, now, his was more mental issue, but under the same guise of like social work. So uh, the state or wherever was cutting resources to, um, was cutting resources and he was <laughs> able to get his medicine. And so not having his medicine, not having the resource, the, the state resource to talk to and check in with sent him down in a deep spiral. So, and that's, to me, like, you know, a number of people's story, like they need the resources, they're not available with the state, and then you end up in this situation. So then should they be penalized, like thrown in prison? Because in prison, you're definitely not getting the help. Or do we need allocated, better allocated uh, rehabilitation resources where they go or facilities where they go instead instead of just sentencing someone and sending them to a prison where they're definitely not going to get the help that they need and though know, isn't that the best opportunity that you will get for help in if you don't have certain health benefits I think, I think it they, it, I'm sorry I think it depends because um, even here, I don't know about different states, but like they're under-resourced as well. So they don't really have the personnel to cater to everyone's needs. So Mm -hmm. I I don't think, it depends on where you are, but at least from what I've seen, like they don't even have enough resources. They're struggling to have people just to stand guard for uh, prisoners let alone be able to provide like the program for you to like help in your mental or um, drug addiction problem. Yeah, and I don't, I obviously don't know how how the prison system works, but when I was doing my research, it made it seem like rehab wasn't just a free for all, like sign your name up and you get into rehab. 
in prison. It's it seems like you had to qualify or apply and not everybody gets in. And I think the main critique of the prison rehabilitation is that it doesn't extend beyond prison. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's one thing to go in with an issue. And I think this goes back to like broader prison issues, but it's like, if someone does a five-year bid, they come out and it's like, a lot of people struggle to reenter society without a drug issue. And then it's like, if you're going back around your old friends, your old community, blah, blah, blah. And that program doesn't get extended to the outside. It's like, that's like, I, I think Lindsay said it, that like rehabilitation is a lifelong thing. And so getting a six month program in prison isn't necessarily helpful for everyone. And, and also like just the, like the exposure to drugs in prison, a lot of people pick up addictions in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people went in for weed and leave doing heroin. So it's just like, it's not like, it's not a, it's not a helpful place for drug addicts based on what I saw online. Also, we went to one extreme, we went to the addiction extreme, but what about the person who's just walking down the street with like a little over an ounce, not Mm -hmm. addicted or anything, just weed is illegal, you got a little over the legal limit, and you get thrown in prison. To me, that goes back to being the mass incarceration thing, because this is like when you get into like a car issue, Right. And it's like, depending on that police officer, they can write you 20 citations or they could write you one citation for the same accident. Right. And so I feel like there's a lot of discretion on how these drug laws get implemented. And just to take it back, I know that when I was watching Love and Hip Hop, there was one guy who went to prison for five years for selling weed. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be around the same time that that white kid who had raped that girl. And like they said, they didn't want to ruin his life and he gets off. And so it's just like, so you're telling me because this man was holding some weed, he needs to serve five years of his time, but you could rape someone. You can murder, look, these days you can murder somebody and do less time than weed. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like this still goes back to like, to me, a a lot of the drug rules are just a tool for perpetuating mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Well, last thing that I want to ask everyone's opinion on is the idea that the decriminalization of drugs kind of takes away the allure of drugs. And so I cannot remember, I almost want to say it was Canada that did this. I could be very wrong, but they legalized a bunch of stuff and they saw a huge drop in usage just because it's like, Oh, it's not cool to not break the law anymore. Tiana, you had something to say. So that would work well for my students. So, and 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 I'm just going to go off of kids because that's who I work with. They sell drugs because it's cool. Um, yeah. It's very few of them that sell drugs because it is the family business and they absolutely need to do it. Most of them sell drugs because it's cool. And the only reason why people still go to drug dealers as opposed to like dispensary is because apparently they are taxing the bejesus out of that weed at the dispensary. But otherwise, if you were to nationally legalize weed, I do think you will have a less, a lot less child drug dealers because nobody's going to a kid anymore when I can go to Walgreens, CVS, the gas station or whatever, pick out my weed. No, it's not laced. 
with embalming fluid or anything like that. And then, you know, like I, I would be for that for that simple reason. A lot of the kids think it's cool to sell drugs. Um, and the only pushback that I got from that is that's just going to make them sell harder drugs. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So like they'll move on from selling weed to selling something much harder, like maybe meth or uh, the little cigarettes that they dip in embalming fluid and smoke. Um, they would move on to a different drug to sell, you know? So like the real issue is like how to get them to stop selling anything. I still don't think decriminalization is it. So. Okay. Well, ladies, this has been another wonderful and thoughtful discussion about drugs in the USA. So thank you to our listeners for another episode of Is <laughs> The volume cut out. But yes, I was about to say your volume <laughs> definitely cut out. I felt the wheel of fortune enthusiasm and I <laughs> <laughs>